So Philemon chapter 1. So we finished up Amos last week and um, I've been thinking about trying out some of the longer books and I just wasn't really sure. I was like, you know what, let's do Philemon. One chapter, so we're going to do this one in one week. And there's some really, really good stuff here in the book of Philemon that I want to show you. And really there's just kind of one major theme that this book is all about that I really want to focus on. I want to talk about, you know, helping resolve conflicts tonight. Because that's kind of what we see happening here in this chapter in the book of Philemon. And uh, it's funny too because I've heard quite a bit of preaching out of Philemon in my life. And all the preaching I've ever really heard out of Philemon, it's all usually about the same thing. And when we look and we see what this is about, you're going to think it's kind of funny what people usually use Philemon chapter 1 for. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But look at, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apithia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to just notice before we get into this, that the first thing that we see here, um, he noticed Paul's a prisoner, and notice that Timothy's with him. Alright? Now, we know who Timothy is, you know, from the book of First Timothy, we're doing that right now. And I don't know for sure about the chronology of the these books in the New Testament, you know, if Philemon was in fact written after Timothy, I don't know. It doesn't matter a ton. But when I see Paul who's writing this from prison and I see Timothy with him, it helps me notice a principle. It reminds me of a principle. And that is that you will end up in the same place as those you are, fo- are following. And notice Timothy was following the Apostle Paul and guess where it led him? Right into prison. All right. Now, uh, you know, but you know what? Who cares? All right. Who cares? Paul was in the will of God when he was in prison. And Timothy was in the will of God when he was in prison. You know, Timothy, like Paul, was probably going around preaching the gospel, going, stirring things up, shaking things up. And Timothy got thrown into prison. And you know, I don't think Timothy had a problem with that. And uh, dealing with some of that persecution, he had great rewards. But at the same time, let's remember that we will end up in the same places as the people we are following. So you better watch. Watch who you're following, and otherwise it, um, it can get it can get you in trouble, but it can get you in a good place too. Um, and even sometimes it can get you in a bad place. That's not necessarily bad because I guarantee you they got some pretty good rewards coming as a result of their time in prison. And I'm sure Timothy, especially now, has no regrets following Paul. So um, we have Paul. Uh, he's writing here from prison with Timothy, and he's writing, of course, you know, to Philemon. And, um, and, you know, and I don't know for sure. Some people believe, uh, or that these other people mentioned might have been Philemon's family. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But notice how it mentions to the church and thy house. So this guy Philemon, he's somebody that has a church in his house. That's, that's an interesting thing too. In the Bible, we see a lot of places where churches were in houses. You know why? Because a church is not a building. A church is an assembly of believers. And you know what? A church that is in a house is just as legit as a church that's in a church building. Okay? Now we're not, you know, we're not house church people, you know, we're not Brian Denlingers and stuff like that that think that church buildings are bad and stuff like that. Obviously that's just a bunch of foolishness and it's stupid. And you know, we're not like a lot of these weirdo homeschool people that do these house churches where uh, you know, they have they don't have pastors where everybody just kind of takes turn take turns preaching and all that stuff. You know, that, that's that's a bunch of foolishness too. But at the same time, sometimes, you know, you have to start out in a house. You know, you start out small. We didn't have to do that. The Lord really blessed us, allowing us to start in this building. And that was a huge blessing. But you know what? A lot of people start out in a house. I remember as a kid, my dad was getting ready to start Lighthouse. I remember us having a few services in our house. And you know what? That's church. All right? That's church. You don't have to have uh, a church building for it to be church. And Philemon, too, you know, if he's got a church in his house, too, one of the things we're going to see about Philemon I think is important we understand. You know, most people believe Philemon was probably a rich person. You know, he's got a church in his house. You know, we can probably assume that he maybe had a big house. That could have been part of the reason. And then, too, um, you know, because back then, too, even if the church was a pretty good size, well, a lot of the world wasn't friendly to churches. So they're not just going to go buy their own building and just, you know, rent a place or rent a hotel conference room and stuff like that. So they're going to meet in the biggest place they can, and maybe it was Philemon's house. 
We know that Philemon, we're going to see he had a servant. Alright, that's something that, you know, people usually had that had some money. That had some means. And I think that's an important thing to understand about Philemon. But notice what Paul called him. You know, he called him our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Alright, Philemon was somebody that was working for the same thing that the Apostle Paul was. He's winning people to Christ. All right? He's somebody who is serving the Lord, a fellow Christian, a brother in Christ. And you know what? There is just something special about fellow laborers. All right? And you know, like for me, even, even with my co-workers in my secular job, okay, you know, that's my secular job that is not my calling. All right? But even those people, they mean more to me than other people. Alright? When we were going soldering the other day and we led some of my co-workers of the Lord, Brother Mark was going to do that house, but then when I saw, hey, these are my co-workers, it's like, hey, I'll do this one. You know, these, you know, these, these are my co-workers. I know who these guys are, so I'm, I care about these ones a little more, but you know what? It's even way more than that when it comes to my fellow laborers and what I do here. Those who are helping spread the gospel. And you know what? Not even just those of you here, while you all are extra, extra special too, even people who are of like faith in other churches, you know, other fundamental King James, soul winning Baptists, these people mean a lot to me. I like being around them. I enjoy the fellowship. I enjoy the fellowship and the friendships that I have with other pastors. Why? Because we're doing the same thing. We're working for the same thing and it makes them special. And so Paul and Philemon, they had, I believe they had a special relationship. They were close friends because they were fellow laborers. They worked together. So keep all this in mind uh, about Paul and Philemon. So why is Paul writing to him? Well, let's go ahead and read a little bit more. So it says, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Right. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. So right here, he's just kind of given more, just, uh, you know, these are just kind of more opening statements. It's more of a greeting. And he's just basically telling, hey, I'm excited about what I'm hearing reported about you. I'm thrilled to hear the news. I'm, thr I'm thrilled to hear the work that you're doing. You are helping other people. You are refreshing other people. You are being an encouragement. And he's, he's letting them know all these things. So Philemon, he's clearly, this guy that Paul's talking to, you know, Paul's not just, you know, giving platitudes here, right? Paul we see is very straightforward. We see Paul in many of his writings. He often called people out, didn't he? I mean, you know, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. You know, Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, he was, uh, you know, he he had disputes with people. He called Peter out. You know, he withstood Peter to the face. Him and Barnabas, they had a conflict and they butted heads over John Mark and things like that. So, you know, Paul, he's not somebody that's just a flatterer that just says nice things to everybody. Paul's a tell it like it is guy. So when Paul's saying all this, and we're going to see Paul too just kind of tell it like it is with Philemon uh, in, a, in a little bit. But we see even here, when Paul's saying all these things, says it's not platitudes. He means it, alright? Philemon is a good man. He's a good guy. He's doing a great work for the Lord. He's being, uh, and he's being an encouragement to people. So this is, this is a good guy. He, you know, the, the saints are refreshed by the brother. Alright, this was somebody that Paul, he looked to him, he looked at him as an equal. Alright, so, uh, keep all these things in mind. So why is he writing to him? Well, he's writing to him, we're gonna see here in a little bit, on behalf of Onesimus. Alright? This is somebody, there, what we're gonna see here, there was a conflict, there was something that happened. We don't know all the details. We can only assume. But something happened between Philemon and his servant, Onesimus. Something happened that caused problems. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, trying to see if he can't get these guys to make up and to get things right. There's a conflict here, and he's trying to resolve it. All right. And Proverbs chapter 16, verse 27, I like this passage. It says, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, 
and in his lips there is a as a burning fire. A froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. You all see that? There are some people that, you know, there are some people, they are, they're always just trying to see if they can create conflict. They're always trying to dig up dirt on people. They're always going to try to see if they can't break up relationships, see if they can't cause problems, see if they can't separate friends. But you know, then there's other people that are out there that you know what they want to do? Hey, they want to see people get right. You got people out there too, you know, that often call, you know, they'll say that they're your friend, but you know, they're, you know, a lot of ladies, all right, let's pick on the women for a minute. You know, they always have that one friend that's just that great listening ear when they want to complain about their husband. You know, it's just like, oh, you ought to leave him. You know, you ought to leave your husband. You know, you know my wife's looking at me like, you know, she doesn't have any friends like that because I wouldn't let her have any friends like that, you know. And, um, but at the same time, you, you all know those people that are like that. You've experienced some of those people before. That it's like it's their, it's their mission in life to just help ruin your marriage and see you get divorced, alright? Or maybe when you were in school, there was always that one person in the school, alright? And I talk about these people before. It's all the people that ended up going into the news media that were always finding out, you know, what one person said about another person. They go to report to the one person, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? Oh, well, this is what I think about them. Then they go back and they report to that other person, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? And they love the conflict. Okay, that's wicked. All right, that type of thing is wicked. Somebody who's trying to cause strife, someone who's trying to sow discord. All right, God hates that. That's an abomination. The apostle Paul's not like that. Here we've got a situ- we're going to see a situation where we've got a master and his servant, and there is a conflict. One did the other one wrong, and the apostle Paul is going to see if he can't help them make things right. That's what he is about to do in this passage because Paul is a good man. So there have been some kind of wrong done in the past by Onesimus to Philemon, and Paul wanted to see reconciliation. So look at what it says. Um, oh, I lost my spot. So look, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 8. Alright, so look at verse 8. It says, Wherefore... Though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Alright? So notice what he's talking about Onesimus. He calls him my son whom I begotten in my bonds. What's he talking about there? This means this is somebody... I won to Christ. This is somebody that Paul got saved. We see he uses that phrase a lot when talking about people, people that he begot, you know, just or he's you know, he was like their father in the faith. Alright? It's it's okay for him to say that, it's appropriate to say that. And he's saying, This is somebody I begotten in my bonds. So Onesimus is someone who got saved while in prison with Paul. Okay, now Please, if you will allow me to speculate a little bit here, I, I think speculation's fine as long as it doesn't contradict what the Bible teaches. All right, but I, I'm, if I may speculate a little bit, all right, I hate, I don't want to be all Ruckmanite and I get loud where the Bible's quiet, all right, or get really, really loud where the Bible's silent, all right. But at the same time, I don't think what I'm about to assume is really a stretch, all right. So here we have Paul in prison with Onesimus. He's writing a letter to Philemon, somebody he already knew, right? This Onesimus who's in prison with him, okay, got saved while he's with Paul. So here's, here's what I personally think happened. You know, most people believe in you know, Onesimus, he was a runaway slave, is what they often refer to him as. Someone who did something, he ran away from his master. What I personally think happened, I'm assuming, alright, Philemon, here he is, a fellow laborer with Paul. You know what that tells me? Philemon was probably another troublemaker. You know, Philemon, like, like Paul was. You know, Paul, Philemon was probably somebody who was shaking things up. Philemon was probably somebody who was very zealous about the things of God. And so Philemon probably did a lot of witnessing to Onesimus. And Onesimus probably didn't want to live that life. He didn't want to deal with the persecution. He was probably hardening himself to the things of God. I'm just speculating here. You know what he said? You know what? I'm out of here. 
I'm getting out of here, and I don't know, maybe he stole some things on the way out. We're going to see Onesimus, I believe, had a debt to Philemon, or maybe the debt was the fact that he still owed him so many years of service. I don't know. But he he leaves him running from the working of the Holy Spirit, running from Philemon. who You know Philemon tried to give him the gospel. I don't think that's a stretch at all. And what happens? He ends up smacking a prison with one of Philemon's friends, greatest soul owner that ever lived. And all of a sudden, he's probably like, you know what? You can't run from God. You know, you can't run from the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I'm just assuming this here, but I think it's a coincidence that Paul gets a guy saved in prison that was a servant of one of his friends. I just, I don't know. I, I could be assuming. That's personally what I think happens. So Paul... You know, he's, he's gotten this guy saved. Um, he is, uh, while, while they're in prison. And, uh, keep losing my spot. Where did I leave off at? Uh, verse 11. So it says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sinned again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own vow. So we see here that at one time Onesimus was not a good servant. He was not a profitable servant. Okay? But now, Paul's saying, you know, he was unprofitable one time, but you know what? He's profitable now. You know what Paul's saying? Hey, not only has this guy gotten saved, he's changed. He's straightened up, he's straightened up his life. This guy will be a blessing to you now. So you know what? If he comes back, alright, Paul write this letter that Paul writes to Philemon, we're going to see it's delivered by Onesimus. So all of a sudden Onesimus shows up who Philemon probably had the power to throw him into jail or to sell him, you know, or whatever. And, but he's got this letter from Paul that they're hoping is going to, you know, resolve things. You know, he's hoping it's, it's going to take care of things. And Paul's telling him, hey, I know he was unprofitable before. I know what he did in the past, but you know what? He's profitable to you now. And Paul was asking Philemon this, you know, in verse 12, you know, he says, receive him, that is mine own vows. Paul was asking Philemon as his friend to receive him. He said, hey, can you do this for me? As my friend. Alright? I care about Onesimus. I have begotten him in my bonds. I want him to Christ. I'm the one that got him saved. And I want to see this relationship restored. I want to see him back in a good position. I don't want to see him on the run. I don't know what happened. Maybe while he was on the run... Maybe he got desperate. Maybe he got hungry. Maybe he stole something. He got thrown in jail. I don't know. I, I don't know. We can only assume. But he's going to be better off if he goes back and he gets things right. Now, what's interesting about this too, um, we'll look at verse 13 before I get into this. It says, Whom I would have retained with me, that in, in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. So Paul said, hey, this guy has straightened up so much. I would like to keep him with me. He would be a blessing to me if he stayed with me. But you know what? I would feel bad keeping him with me, knowing that this is somebody who owes you. Somebody who has a debt that needs to be settled with you. And so I'm not going to keep him with me without your mind, or without your permission. I want to know your thoughts on this. So, that was Paul's thing. Now, what's interesting, whenever I've heard this passage preached before, I often hear this preached as uh, on ethics when it comes to church members leaving your church and going to another church. And I love how they compare church members going from one Baptist church to another Baptist church to runaway slaves. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know that that's completely, I mean, you know, but at the same time, because right, it's like too... Because, you know, all right, you know, let's just say, you know, you know, Brother Mark, or, or let's say Brother Eric, you know, he leads the singing, uh, you know, every week. You know, he, he's somebody who's up here that you see, leads the singing, and all that stuff. You know, he does Bible reading, you know, he gives, all these things that he does. And then, all of a sudden, you know, he just runs away from here without my permission. And, you know, and he goes and he joins the church down the street, and he's leading their singing. You know, I see him on YouTube, you know, leading their, leading their singing, doing all the stuff. That he was doing here and being a blessing, I see him doing it over there. Now, obviously, I, you know, yeah, that's going to bother me. Yes, he's profitable here. 
But he's going to be profitable to them too. All right. Now, if he leaves here in a bad way, yes, it would be right. It, he should try to resolve things, right? You know, they shouldn't just be like, no, I'm just going to take whoever I can get. All right? Now, let me tell you something about the churches down the street. All right? I'll tell you about that after church. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, yeah, they probably wouldn't practice that. But I'm telling you, you know, I don't know that it's completely accurate to compare church members to runaway slaves. All right? We don't own anybody here. But at the same time, all of you are profitable to this church, alright? We do depend on you, we need you, you know, we want you, and, you know, if you were to just, in a bad way, just go somewhere else, you know, that, that would kind of stink, alright? And, um, so yeah, I don't think it's a horrible thing to preach, but, it, you know, at the same time, too, um, I find it interesting that the only thing they can find about, you know, transferring members and stuff like that, they always go to Philemon. Is where they go. And then they show how, you know, pastors, we have this responsibility to make sure, you know, if somebody visits your church that's from another church, you know, before you write them a letter, give them a visit, you call their pastor and make sure you tattle on them. All right. Is basically what it is. And, and you know what? I'm actually all, I would be all for that, but in my position, I have a no tattling policy. And I'll tell you why. Because of the fact that I am post-trib, because of the fact you know that I associate with certain pastors that are not well-liked in the Baptist world, they treat us by a completely different set of rules. All right? there, are a, there is a completely different set of rules that they play when it comes to us. All right? If somebody comes from another church uh, you know, that's an hour and a half away, two hours away, and they visited... Any other church, all right, you know, nobody would have as big a problem as if they came and visited our church, all right? So when these people get consistent in their dealings with things and are actually fair and honest, I might play by their rules, all right? But until then, I'll just make up my, if you're going to make up, if they're going to make up their own rules with me, I'm going to make up my own rules with them. And I have a no snitching policy when it comes to that. Now, I do encourage people, hey, if you're thinking about, you know, ditching your church to come to our church, let your pastor know what's going on. Don't just vanish. Don't just disappear. Go talk to him. Let him know. Even if you just want to come and visit here, let your pastor know where you're at. Don't make him be thinking all the time that you know he's offended you or, or whatever. Just let him know what's going on. All right? You don't have to go and ask his permission. You know, but you don't need to do it behind his back. You don't need to be sneaky. And if people are going to be sneaky, then I might have to lose my no snitching policy and uh, you know, start tattling on people. But... But I, I, you know, I said I, I don't want to do that, and uh, but I do. I find it interesting. This is the only passage that they always go to Philemon when talking about this. And it's like, you know, that is a little different. This was a slave. This was somebody that there was a a financial debt, a legal debt. You know, there was legal obligations here. There's not in church, all right. You know, we're free in Christ, and you know, I mean, honestly, well, I don't want y'all to just up and leave and go to another church. I can't stop anybody from doing that. And I'm not going to, honestly, I don't try super hard to keep people from leaving the church. If they want to leave, okay. I'm not going to come to your house and pronounce curses on you and tell you all, you know, if you leave our church, God's going to kill you, strike you down, you know, you know, you're going to, kids are all going to die and turn into homos and stuff like that. You know, I'm not going to pronounce the curses on you. That many pastors do uh, when you leave their church, you know. I, in a nice way, if you just decide I don't want to be here, I'm in a very nice way. I'm just going to tell you, don't let the door hit your backside on the way out. Or as Brother Perry says, you know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Anyway, um, I've always I've always liked that statement, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. I think that's foolish, and it is. Some people literally have to escape. From their church in the dead of night. I mean, it's like a night crossing. They got to fly. Was that night crossing where they flew the hot air balloon over the Berlin Wall or whatever? I mean, that's what it's like to get out of some churches. And I don't, I don't think that's good. I think it needs to be easy for people to get in, and even easier for them to get out. All right, that, that's my, that's my personal opinion. But anyway, I don't know why I got off on that. I guess because said so that, that's where you, mostly what you hear Philemon about. But that's just, 
I think that's pushing it a little bit. So no, so Onesimus, he's changed since he's been saved. Paul's asking Philemon as a friend to receive him. And notice in verse 13, he says, Paul is saying, I would like to keep him. I would like to keep him. He's valuable, but I'm not going to do it without your blessing. I want you to know what's going on first. Here I have sent him. You know, here, here's the letter. Okay, Onesimus is the one that's going to hand this letter to Philemon. So it's not like, you know, he, he's making it real easy for Philemon to actually do, you know, what he wants to do. Alright? It's like, you know, sometimes people too, you know, they'll, you know, they'll call you or they'll ask your permission for things when it's just like really too late and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? Maybe I, you know, as maybe as a pastor, I'm depending on you for something. I was counting on you to for some kind of activity in the church or whatever, and I, I was planning on you doing something that Sunday morning. I needed you for something on Sunday morning. You told me you were going to do it. I was planning on you doing it, and then you call me up one hour before church on Sunday morning. And be like, hey, Pastor, I forgot to tell you, I'm on vacation in Florida. Can I get out of you know doing what you asked me to do? Well, <laughs> I guess I have to let you, you know, and you know, and or they'll ask you. After, you know, I can do this, but it's going to be super inconvenient. We're going to have to cut our vacation short, and the kids are just going to be devastated. You know, and they, they put you in these, you know, it, it's ridiculous some of the things that people do in church sometime and, you know, with their pastors and the way they take advantage. It's really ridiculous. But Paul's not doing that. Paul's making it easy for Philemon to actually do what he wants to do. He's got Onesimus right there. He, he's able to do what he wants to do. He's kind of just giving them permission to do whatever. In fact, he's encouraged. He's letting them know, man, I'd love to have him, but you know what? He's going to be profitable for you, and I'd like to see you take him back. I would like to see you accept him. But you know what? Philemon doesn't have to feel super guilty if he doesn't because he knows, hey, if I don't receive him, he still has the place to go. Paul wants him. So, um, you know, Paul's not putting him in a bad situation in what he's asking. All right. Another example of a situation you know people like to you know put their pastor in too is you know where they will ask you uh, you know to do something. Well, for I remember one time right before church, uh, they didn't do this to me as their pastor. Right before church, I mean like ten minutes before church started, I get a phone call, and a lady from somewhere in the suburbs calls me, and she was just like, "Hey, my daughter's in a hospital, or my daughter's at home by herself." And I'm in the hospital. I need someone to drive her to the hospital. And I said, um, church starts in 10 minutes. I can't. And we had just started the church, and I didn't know people in the church that well. And it wasn't like I was going to go ask people, hey, you know, some guy, go give this 15-year-old girl a ride to the hospital. I was like, I said, church starts in 10 minutes. She was like, well, then what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, you don't understand. My daughter's 15 and she's bipolar and you know she can't be home by herself and blah blah. You know, so what am I supposed to do? And I'm thinking, how did this become my problem? You know, how how did I get stuck in this you know difficult situation? You know, I don't even know who you are. You know, and sometimes too, even church members will do that sometimes, where they will let us put you in a terrible position, an awkward position, making things difficult. You know, to where either way, you're, you know, you're either going to get majorly inconvenienced and completely put out. Or you're going to be made to feel totally guilty for not coming through. That's a terrible thing to do. And the Apostle Paul, he's asking Philemon to do something in trying to resolve this conflict, but he's making it real easy for him. He said, "Hey, I'd like to see you do this. That he's going to be good for you. He'll be profitable for you. You know, you've got some things you're going to need to you know forgive. But at the same time, you know, if you don't take him, I want him. You know, I'll take him too. And he even goes farther than that. We'll see here." In just a second. So look what he says in verse uh, 15. It says, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldst receive him forever. Hey, maybe this was a good thing that he went away. The fact that he went away, now he's saved. You know, now he's going to probably come back and actually want to stay with you forever. Want to be a fellow laborer with you. And instead of just fulfilling his time and then leaving, he's going to be, some, he'll be a permanent servant. I don't know. I think that's what he's saying right there. But then look what he says in verse 16. Now, not as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
Paul right here, he's not only asking now for Philemon to take him back, but to basically give him a promotion and to say, hey, don't just accept him as a servant, but you know what? As a brother. Accept him as a brother. You know, um, in the flesh and in the Lord. All right. Not that they were physically brothers, but hey, this is somebody that you know close. You know, you've worked with, you've been around each other. But you know what? Now he's a brother in Christ too. You know, give this guy good treatment. Verse thir- um, uh, lost my, or verse fifteen or seventeen. He says, "If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself." Paul saying, "I see Onesimus as an equal with me now." This guy, even though he's somebody I've begotten in my bonds, even though he's somebody that hasn't been saved as long as I have, this guy, the Lord's used him, the Lord's changed him. He is my friend. He is my brother. And just like you and me, we're brothers and we're partners. If you count me a partner, you know what? Include him too. Alright? Because that's just how it is too. You know, it's hard to be a friend with somebody who is an enemy. Of your friend, right? If you, or you have two friends, right? If I'm friends with Brother Mark and Brother Steve, but then these two guys are enemies, it's going to hurt that relationship, isn't it? And so you've got Paul, he loves Philemon, Paul loves Onesimus, but these two guys have a conflict. They've got a problem. And so Paul, he's trying, he's trying to make amends here. He's trying to get things right. So look at it says in, so in verse um, 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, Put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Okay? Now listen, this wasn't like back in the, you know, this, back then it wasn't like it is today, where this letter here would not hold up as a contract today with, you know, taking over somebody's debt. Alright? That wouldn't work, all right? If Brother Lonnie had a car debt or something like that, and I wanted to take that over for him as a blessing, I couldn't just write a letter saying, "Hey, put it on my account. It's all, I'll take it. I'll take care of it." All right? It wouldn't. It wouldn't work that way. I'd have to sign a whole bunch of things and probably get a lawyer involved. But what Paul wrote right here back then, it would have counted. Whatever legal obligation Onesimus had to Philemon, which and he did have one. I don't know what it was or how much it was. Paul said. I will repay it. I've written it. Here it is. Here's my letter. He signs his letter at the end. I will pay that debt. But I like how he mentions, hey, but let's remember something. You owe me too, Philemon. You owe me too. Keep that in mind. I will pay. It's the right thing. When you owe somebody a debt, you ought to pay it. Alright? I don't have the right necessarily to go uh, you know, to someone else. I don't have the right. If, brother, if somebody owes Brother Eric some money, I don't necessarily have the right to go to him and say, you know what, Brother Eric? I need you to forgive them that debt. Alright? You, you just forgive that debt. He, maybe somebody owes them 500 bucks. You don't, they don't have to pay it. I don't have the right to do that unless maybe he borrowed $500 from me and I forgave that debt. If he, if I did that for him, I believe that kind of gives me the right, not necessarily a legal right, I can't make him do it, but it would be appropriate and it shouldn't be something he would get offended at if I were to tell him, you know what, you should just forgive that debt. You know, Brother Lonnie owes that 500 bucks, you know what, just write it off. Hey, remember how I did that for you? You're going to go collect him? Well, maybe I should collect from you too. And isn't that what we see in that one parable in the Bible about the man who owed the great debt? That's exactly what we see in the Bible. And so I personally, you know, that's that's kind of what Paul's doing right here. He's he's kind of hinting in there that, you know, why don't you just forgive this debt? Alright? But he doesn't have to. Alright? He, he, nobody has to forgive the debt. But Paul's saying, you know what? You know, I, I'd like to see you do it. If you can't do that, that's fine. I'll pay it. I've written it with my own hand. Paul is making it easy. For Philemon and Onesimus to make up. He's doing everything he can to help in this situation. And you know what? I believe, too, that's one of the reasons God commands us to forgive as often as He does and asks us to forgive as often as He does is because of how He has already forgiven us. Colossians 3.13 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, 
Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, can anybody? How could we do more to forgive than Christ has done for us? We can't. You know what? So that means we do. We have. We have the right to forgive. And not only do we have the right to forgive, not only do we have the power to forgive and the authority to forgive. I mean, we have the obligation to forgive other people. We have that obligation because of what has been forgiven to us. And if, if you've got issues with people, you know what? Sometimes you just say, you know what? Forget it. Yeah, you owe me, but you know what? Forget it. Make it, and, and you know what? Make it official. And do like Paul, alright? Do it in a good way. You know, sometimes people will like, fine. Don't pay me. If you want to be a dirty, low-down deadbeat, uh, that's not necessarily giving them a pass. Because, you know, now they're labeled dirty, low-down deadbeat. You know? No, actually, forgive the debt. Forgive it and forget about it. That means you've forgiven it so much, you have written it off so much, that you're not going to get bent out of shape if you find, find out they took a trip to Las Vegas or something later. I mean, that'd be, that'd be easy to get, you know, hard. But if you really did forgive somebody, you wouldn't hold that over their head. And so that's what Paul's doing right here. Paul wants them to forgive, and Paul is reminding Philemon how, yes, Onesimus owes you, but you owe me. I never collected on your debt to me, and you know what? He's kind of hinting. You probably shouldn't try to collect on this debt that Onesimus owes you. And so, uh, I, I think this is a great thing, what we see the Apostle Paul doing right here. So let's go ahead and go to verse uh, 19. It says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Paul, he, he was very confident with Philemon that he was going to do what he asked. And I don't know, I don't know this for sure, I'm, I'm speculating right here, but I can just see Paul as he's probably told Onesimus, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to Philemon. You need to make things right with Philemon. You need to go back to working for him. You need to go back to serving alongside him. And Onesimus is probably saying, hey, you don't know what I did to Philemon. You don't know just how much you know I owe him. He's going to be mad if I go back there. He's not going to forgive me. He's probably just going to you know, sell me or he's probably going to have me beaten or whatever. And Paul's telling him, no, I know Philemon. He's not going to do it. And you know what? Let me help you out. Let me help you out. You know, I'm going to write a letter. I'll write a letter to him. I'll, I'll, and I want you to deliver this letter to Philemon. You go take it to him. And then Philemon, you know, I don't know, maybe he was mad at first. Maybe at first, you know, he sees Onesimus and he's thinking, what are you doing here? And Onesimus is like, listen, before you do anything, read this letter. And so he's reading the letter. He's reminded about the debt that he owes Paul. He sees how Paul says, you know, I have joy in thee. You know, refresh my bowels in the Lord. And, you know, but with all, or, um, having confidence in thy obedience. I know what he's saying basically, I know you're going to do the right thing. I, I know you're going to do the right thing. In fact, I have so much confidence in you finally, but not only are you going to do the right thing, you're going to do, you're going to do more than I asked. You're going to be, you're going to be good to Onesimus. Everything that is written in here, it was written to Resolve a conflict between two people. He's trying to help these guys out. That is a Christian thing to do. That's what Paul's doing right here. And you know, it's sad when you get one person, when you get one person do the right thing, and then the other person doesn't do the right thing. You know, because just think of how awkward that would have been for Paul. If Paul's like, listen, Onesimus, you can go. Listen, trust me. I know Philemon. He's going to do the right thing. And then all of a sudden, Onesimus goes back there, and you know, Philemon hasn't beaten and thrown into prison. Paul's going to be like, you know, you know, you know how that would make Paul feel. And I've done, I've done that before, right? When it comes to, all right, back to the whole issue of, you know, ethics amongst pastors, all right, and paddling when church members come. I've had some people that have visited here before, and oh, I had one guy in particular. He had visited the church. He wasn't a member of another church, but he you know, hadn't been saved for long. He'd been visiting this other church, and. This church, you know, this church is not post-trib and stuff like that. And and I told him, I remember, you know, I told him, I was like, well, this, you know, he was wondering what he should do. And I said, well, you know, I said, you need to talk to your pastor. And 
I said, just let him know where you're at. You know, he got saved from listening to Pastor Anderson online. He heard Pastor Anderson say, hey, get in a good soul owning Baptist church. You know, don't let pre-trib and stuff like that be a deal breaker. He heard all those things. There was a church like that in the area. And I actually knew the pastor of this church. And I remember I told him, I said, well, here's, here's what you need to do. I said, the right thing to do would be to go to this pastor, talk to him, let him know your beliefs, how you got saved, all that stuff. And, and I told him, I said, you know, hopefully he won't throw you out of the church, <laughs> you know. And I remember with this particular guy, I didn't have strong confidence he would do the right thing. Right. And and it's been that way. There's been some pastors I've recommended people to. No, you can trust this guy. He's a good guy. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna be a problem. I know this pastor. He's a gracious man. He's a good man. He's confident. You know, he's a lot of these pastors. The reason they're the way they are is they have no confidence. They they are not strong leaders, and so they are terrified of somebody being a little bit different than them. They're just terrified. But pastors who are strong leaders, uh, they're not bothered by that. They don't care. And but um, there have been people. That I have recommended, I assume their pastors would do the right thing, and they didn't. And then I feel stupid after that, and uh, and that's sad when that happens. And that's you know what could have potentially happened in this situation, but I I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened. I think Paul, who's writing here too, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, I think he probably got it right. I think this relationship was probably restored, and everything was fine. But um, look at, let's go ahead and finish uh, th- these verses here. So it says, Therefore salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So he's making, notice how he's making this final greeting to more fellow laborers. Alright? More fellow laborers. There were people in that, in Philemon's church that were important to Paul. Why? Fellow laborers, people that are working for the same thing, people that are out there seeing people saved. And you know what? There, there's a lot of people that I know too, who are members of other churches. They're not pastors. They not necessarily are doing the same thing I'm doing as far as being a pastor. They have a different role in their church, but these are you know dedicated, sold out soul winners that are winning people to Christ. And you know what? I love those people. They are, they are fellow laborers to me. Ultimately, we're working for the same thing. We might have different positions. We might be in different churches. But I'm telling you, church members and other fundamental Baptist churches that are soul winners and are getting people saved, I like those people. They are, they are my friends. They are fellow laborers. I think about just some of the people that I've you know, had the privilege of going soul winning with in other churches. People that are I'm not... You know, all I really, you know, the way we got to know each other was soul winning together. But you know what? They're special people. Why? Because we work together, work for the same thing, seeing people saved together. And that is, that's a blessing. That's one of the fun things, too, about going to some of the soul winning marathons and soul winning conferences and things is just actually going and working with other people who are doing the exact same thing in different parts of the country. That's exciting. It helps you not feel so alone. You know, we're a smaller church just kind of out here in the middle of nowhere. But you know what? It, I am regularly encouraged by the thought of knowing that, you know what, when I'm out there soul winning on Saturday, you know, it's not just us by ourselves. There's churches all over the place with people doing the exact same thing, building the exact same kingdom, taking people to the exact same place. And that motivates me. The soul winning mega marathon. That was exciting that day. Not just because we had a big group of soul owners from here, and even though that was encouraging, even though it was exciting, to know that there were people in all 50 states and in countries all over the world working for the same thing, you know what? It was exciting. And every video I saw of people putting out from, whether it was from Canada or whatever, you know, England, Ireland, wherever it was from, announcing how many people went soul owning, announcing the souls that were saved, I was thrilled by that. You know what it felt like to me? It, I felt like I was a part of people getting saved all over the world. And you know what? I was. I was. Everybody who participated in that was. And we all had a victory that day. And so, you know, and it was encouraging too for Pete. There were some people who were in certain parts, you know, parts of the world where it is very difficult. There were some people who had to go out 
all by themselves in very difficult parts of the world trying to give the gospel. But you know what? Those people, they didn't have to feel like they were alone. They knew they were a part of something that was going all over the world, had fellow laborers. And you know what? It was a very thrilling and encouraging thing. And Paul had a lot of that going on. And you know what? Back then, you know, he had to write letters and do this. I mean, I can't imagine how slow the mail was back then. But, you know, today with the technology and stuff we have with the Internet and everything, I mean, we, we have no reason to get down in the dumps and be depressed and feeling sorry for ourselves. I mean, if anybody could have, it was Apostle Paul who's having to sit in prison and write letters to communicate with people. But he didn't. He had fellow laborers, and the fact that these people, he knew these people were in different parts of the world doing the work, it motivated him. And they were special to him. And he names these people. Some of them were good. Some of them, you know, some of them, some of them were failures. We noticed who, one of the guys mentioned in there, Demas. Alright, what's one of the things we know about Demas? Well, later he says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You know, not everybody sticks it out. Not everybody stays in it for the long haul. That's why we need to encourage each other, and that, that's why. We, but you know, that that working together, that laboring together, it does. It kind of gives us a power with each other. It gives us a special connection with each other. And Paul and Philemon had that with each other, and so Paul was able to use that and help him reconcile, help two men get things reconciled. One who was a good man who'd been saved for a long time. One was a guy who wasn't a very good man who was an unprofitable servant one time, but got saved, the Lord changed his life, became profitable, and they were able to make things right, and he was able to go back to Philemon and uh, and not just be a servant, but a brother. Be a partner. Like Paul, what an exciting thing that must have been. And you know what? We ought to be in the business of restoring relationships and helping make things better with people. And there, there's, there's going to be conflicts with brothers and sisters. It's going to happen. There's, you know, we're going to butt heads sometimes. You know why? Because we're people. All right? if, if you think a church can exist with multiple church members and nobody ever butt heads, then you obviously never had kids. All right? Because kids butt heads all the time, don't they? Brothers and sisters fight. But you know what? Mom and dad sometimes got to step in. You know, they got to resolve. They got to resolve conflicts and things. And you know, we all ought to do that amongst each other, and not even just amongst each other in the church, but you know, even in your workplace with coworkers. You know, in the workplace, sometimes it's fun to watch the conflict. Sometimes it's fun to watch the fights. But sometimes you got to say, you know what? As entertaining as it would be to see these two duke it out, I should probably try to help resolve this thing. Sometimes it's not fun being a Christian. You know, sometimes it'd be more fun to do the wrong thing. But you know, that, that's what we got to do, and that's what the Apostle Paul did. And so, right here, we have a great story of Paul helping resolve a conflict between two people. And I think we ought to learn from this. And it's it's interesting too because of the fact in this story, you know, there really isn't. You know, I always ask myself when you look at different books in the Bibles and. You know, what's the theme of this book? What is the purpose of this book? You know, what are the big doctrines that we learn in this book? And, you know, there's really not a ton of things we see. This short book, or this short with only one chapter, just 25 verses, it's just a letter that Paul wrote to try to help resolve a conflict between two people. But God included it in the Bible, I think, because of the fact He knew we were going to need that in, in the work of the Lord. And... I think also you could if you if you wanted to really maybe get deep in this, don't you think it's kind of a good picture about how Jesus resolved the conflict between us and the Father? I mean, didn't he he go and kind of he took care of things there, didn't he? You know, he he paid our debt that we owed. And he uh reconciled God and man. Jesus Christ did that. And now we see too, the Bible teaches He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so I think that's a great practice. And I think it's something we don't talk about enough. It's something that we don't practice in our life. But, you know, we ought to be conflict resolution people. Alright? And don't make it look like a world conflict resolution, alright? You know, they've got their own weird psychiatry way of doing things. But no, we need to do things in a biblical way and understand 
that, you know what, if somebody has a debt, they owe somebody, hey, they own that. That ought to be taken care of. But sometimes we might need to help them out and maybe step in and take care of those things. And I think one of the things that greatly helped Paul, that gave him the power and the influence to do this with Philemon, is the fact that he had forgiven Philemon of some things. So you know what, if you want to have... You know, if you want to have power over somebody to get them to do good, all right, not to use them for your benefit, but to get them to do good, you know, why don't you go do some good things for other people? And there are, there have been times, even recently, where I have done some good things for others that maybe I didn't really want to do, but I kind of felt like I had to because other people had done similar things for me. So I'm thinking, man, I'm a jerk. If I don't help this person out, when somebody else... Help me out in the exact same way. That which means if I did do in those situations where I did do something good for someone else, the re- reason I did I did a good thing for someone else is because of one person of what they did good for me. So in, as a result of them doing one good thing, actually two good things happened, and they only had to do one of them. You see how that's why we're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be making the world a better place. And maybe if we would do more good things for other people, maybe other people would do more good things too. And now the world's becoming a better place and we don't have to do all the good by ourselves. Other people are doing good because we did good. And who knows, it might have a chain reaction and you might have three or four or five or six conflicts get resolved. Uh, five or six you know, forgiveness t- forgivenesses take place. And it was all as a result of the one that you did. Let's keep those things in mind and practice those in our lives. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to resolve the conflict that we had uh, between, uh, between us and you. We, and I pray you'll help us to uh, take part in that ministry of reconciliation that you have given us and help us to not be wicked and like this world and be sowing discord and and causing problems but i pray you'll help us to uh fix problems with people not just in the church but lord maybe even with our neighbors our co-workers just wherever we can i pray help us to stay focused on these things and keep them in mind and help us to start a chain reaction of good things in the world and in our society instead of bad and in your name we pray amen